O Romeo, tis but thy name that is my enemy. Thou art thyself, not a Montague. What's in a name? That which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. Of course, that is William Shakespeare in Romeo and Juliet. And while a name won't change the smell of a flower, a book title can change how many copies your book will sell. So how do you develop an amazing title for your book? Well, that is what we're going to talk about in this episode of Novel Marketing, the longest running book marketing podcast in the world. This is the show for writers who want to build their platform, sell more books, and change the world with writing worth talking about. I'm your host, the CEO of Author Media and Vulcan of Book Marketing, Thomas Umstead Jr. And the one thing I know for sure about book titles is that the better an author is at writing the book, the worse they seem to be at coming up with a book title. In case you don't believe me, here are some examples of original book titles that were came up with by the author and what they were changed to by the publisher. So the book All's Well That Ends Well was changed to be War and Peace. Tomorrow Is Another Day was changed to be Gone with the Wind. The Dead Undead was changed to be Dracula. And Private Fleming, his various battles, was changed to The Red Badge of Courage. And Something That Happened was changed to Of Mice and Men. And I could go on and on. If you Google, there are article after article of just terrible book titles and the classic works of literature that they ended up becoming after the title was changed. Sometimes after the first edition of the book came out, the title would be changed after that. And so why is it so hard for authors to come up with good book titles for their books? Well, as James Rubart often says, it's hard to read the label when you're standing inside the bottle. And you know too much about your own book often to be able to pick a good title, to know which one element to feature in your title. I think the book title, more than anything else, needs an outside perspective. Now, there's several ways to get an outside perspective. One is, if you're traditionally published, your publisher is going to provide that outside perspective. There's a whole team of people at the publisher who will chime in on title ideas. If you're indie published, I recommend being in a paid mastermind group or some other group with other successful Andy authors. And this is really important because if you're in a group full of unsuccessful authors, you're going to be getting bad feedback. <laughs> so you have to be really careful who you're getting feedback from for your book title. And another strategy is you can test your book title idea on your readers using a Facebook split test. And I actually have an entire episode on how to use Facebook ads and split testing of Facebook ads to test title ideas. But this only works after you've come up with at least two good book titles. Split testing only tells you which of two titles is better. It doesn't help you create the title in the first place. So how do you do that? Well, before we talk about how, we need to talk about the purpose of a book title. And there's a lot of confusion as to the purpose of book titles, and this is because the purpose has changed. Back in the 18th century, the purpose of a book title was to describe the contents of the book. Back then, it was not uncommon to see book titles like An Inquiry into the Nature and Causes of the Wealth of Nations by Adam Smith or On the Origin of Species by Means of Natural Selection or the Preservation of Favored Races in the Struggle for Life by Charles Darwin. Things have changed in the last 200 years. Instead of a few hundred books getting published each year, a million books get published. It was possible for Thomas Jefferson to buy and read almost every new book that was being published 
in the colonies. That is no longer possible. It is now physically impossible to read every book that comes out. And the purpose of the title is no longer to describe the one book that came out on that topic on the bookshelf of Thomas Jefferson's library, but instead it's to help the book get attention. If your book title describes the contents of your book, you will get lost in the noise. Your title must attract attention rather than provide a description for the book. Book titles rarely sell the book on their own, but they do attract the attention and generate the curiosity that leads the reader to make a buying purchase. So you can't, just on the book title, sell very many copies. Although there are exceptions. There's the very successful Everything Men Know About Women book that is 300 blank pages. So literally all people are buying is the book title, Everything Men Know About Women, and it has sold, I think, over 100,000 copies. Obviously, it's a gag, but it illustrates an important point. So this leads us to the question, what is the goal of a book title? Well, the first goal is to generate or evoke curiosity. You want the title of your book to make people curious to learn more about your book. You want the reader to pull it off the shelf or click the cover if they're online and read the back cover copy to get pulled into the book. You want your readers to say, I know something about this, but I want to know more. Why is it all quiet on the Western Front? What is the red badge of courage? Who is Dracula? And when it comes to evoking curiosity, there's actually a science to evoking curiosity. And there's this concept called the curiosity gap. Readers are not curious about things they already know. They're also not curious about things too outside of their realm of knowledge. Chances are you're not curious about who is the highest paid cricket player in 1979. You're also not curious about your own middle name. You already know that. (laughs) What makes people curious are the things just outside of their current set of knowledge. So while you may not be curious about your middle name, you might be curious about my middle name. You know I'm a junior. You know I say Thomas Umstead Jr. in every intro, but I always skip my middle name. Why? Why in seven years of doing this podcast have I never once mentioned my middle name? Maybe you're curious, maybe you're not. And I admit, this is a bit of a lame example. And those of you who are new to the podcast, you probably don't care. But this helps illustrate my point. Not everyone is curious about the same things because not everyone knows the same things. The more I learn, the more curious I become. Which means if you want to generate curiosity and cross that curiosity gap, you've got to know your readers. (laughs) To generate curiosity, you've got to get to know your readers. Are you writing a vampire book for people who read a lot of vampire books, or is this a book for people who typically read romance? Twilight is a better title for romance readers, while Vampire Diaries is a better title for hardcore vampire fans. The broader your target audience, the harder it is to craft a curiosity-generating title. Often, authors who struggle to come up with a book title haven't yet done the work of getting to know their readers. I know I say this almost every episode, but you've got to get to know your readers in real life. It's not a substitute to come up with imaginary friends or imaginary personas. You've got to write for real life people if you want to be able to generate their curiosity. Real human beings, <laughs> they humans matter. So that's the first goal of a book title is to evoke curiosity. Now let's talk about the second goal of a book title, and that is to encourage word of mouth. 
ultimately, what makes a book spread is word of mouth. If people can't remember your book title, they won't be able to talk about your book title to their friends and family. And if they can't talk about it, it won't spread, and ultimately, you won't sell very many copies. So there's several principles here to help word of mouth happen. The first is brevity. There's a reason we shortened the title of Adam Smith's book to The Wealth of Nations, and we shortened Darwin's book to The Origin of Species. These shorter versions of the titles are easier to talk about. The longer your book title is, the harder it is to remember. And this is why we tend to shorten these titles. Also, phrases like favored races in Darwin's book is problematic, to say the least. Now, this doesn't mean your book has to have a single word title like Twilight, Emma, or Blink. But shorter names are easier to remember than longer ones. And don't be afraid to have a one-word title. Another element of word of mouth is clarity. If you call someone and tell them your book title over a bad telephone connection, will they write down the correct name? What if they're listening to you talk about your book over a staticky radio signal? Don't use words in your title that are hard to spell or are easily confused with other words. A book title like Plain Secrets sounds just like Plain Secrets and Plain Secrets. Is it a book about travel, a romance that takes place in Kansas, or a business fundamentals book? Well, it depends on how you spell plain, and it is unclear. Not good. And a reason why these were fake titles, uh, because I don't think very many people were foolish enough to actually have a book titled Plain Secrets. Another element of word of mouth is simplicity. The simpler an idea is, the faster it spreads. And if you have to explain your title for it to make sense, you have a bad title. It is possible to be too clever with your title. It's also possible to be too clever with your book cover for the same reason. It needs to intrigue someone who's not yet read your book. A title that only makes sense after reading your book is generally a bad idea. So you don't want to be too clever with your title ideas. You want to keep your ideas simple. Another element of word of mouth is remarkability. In some ways, this is the most important element. If you want your book and book title to get remarked on, they need to be remarkable. (laughs) This goes without saying, but I find myself often having to say it anyway. This means the title needs to be unique in some interesting way. It can't be too foreign, but it also can't be too familiar. Uh, When I was in college, a very successful CEO who'd started and ran several companies came and gave a guest lecture in the business school. And in the lecture, he recommended a book titled The Simple Truth. And he'd purchased a case of these books written by somebody else and told us that this book was so good that if we read it, he would ensure that we got an interview in any one of his companies. He would pick the company that he ran. He would get us an interview. That's how powerful the book was. Now, I read the book. It was a free copy of the book. I read it, and it was amazing. It totally transformed how I interacted with my clients, and I later made it required reading for some of my employees. And the book was so good, it made my employees better at their jobs just by reading it. It really was an amazing book, and it really was a simple truth. But here's the kicker. If you search for The Simple Truth on Amazon, hundreds of books come up. Many with the exact same title. And many of them are business books. A remarkable little book is made impossible to recommend via word of mouth due to an unremarkable book title. Don't let this happen to you. Sometimes a title can be so good that it's not good anymore. If a bunch of other books already have your title, keep brainstorming ideas. You're not done. 
Now, on the flip side, while your book title needs to be remarkable, it also needs to be familiar. Your title can't be so unique that people don't know your book is for them, or so unique that it has no words that readers are searching for. And I'll admit, there's a tension between familiarity and remarkability that you're going to have to manage. It's not a bad idea for a single word in your book title to connect with a concept that is already popular with readers of similar books. For example, when George R.R. R. Martin started writing epic fantasy, the number one epic fantasy series was Wheel of Time. And one element in those books was the Game of Houses, also known as Deus de Mar. It was the political intrigue that acted as the backdrop for what the story was really about. Now, fans of epic fantasy saw a book titled Game of Thrones and knew immediately that it would be like the Game of Houses parts of the Wheel of Time books, but taken to the next level. Deus de Mar was just a side aspect of the Wheel of Time books, but it was the focus of the Song and Ice and Fire series. And people who were already fans of epic fantasy knew that just by the title because it was familiar. To pull this off, the book title needs to be both subtle and specific. And we'll talk more about this here in a little bit. So that is the second goal, which was to encourage word of mouth. Now let's talk about the third goal of a good book title which is to rank in search. Now, this is a problem Darwin didn't need to face, and neither did Adam Smith. But nowadays, especially post-2020, most people who buy books buy them through a search engine online rather than browsing through a physical bookstore. Even a reader at the library is using a computer search engine to look for books. So it is critical that your book ranks when people type words into Amazon or Google's search engine. Now, we have a whole episode on how Amazon search engine works, and you can listen to it, episode 226, How to Rank in Amazon Search Results with Dave Chesson. But I will say the title is probably the most important element of your search results, both for Amazon and for Google. They both give you a lot of points for the words that you put in your title. So which words you put in your title are really important. So how do you include words in your title while maintaining its short, catchy remarkability? Well, there are several ways. First, you want to identify the keywords that you want to use. What words are readers using when they look for your book or for books like your book? Well, there's actually a tool to help you figure that out. And it's called Publisher Rocket. It was created by Dave Chesson, who I interviewed in the earlier episode. And it's a tool specifically designed to help you research and identify the words that your target readers are using. It's a paid tool, so you're going to have to pay for it, but it can be an incredible asset to have an optimized book title because you pay for it once and you have that optimized book title for the life of your book. And I do have an affiliate link for Publisher Rocket in the show notes. The temptation with search engine optimization and keyword research is to paint a red dot around where the arrow lands rather than doing the research to figure out where the arrow should land in the first place. So don't let that happen to you. So once you've identified your keywords, you want to put at least one power keyword in the title if you can. Uh, This isn't always possible, but when you can make it happen, you will have a much better book. There's a reason Atomic Habits has the word habit in the title. This is perhaps the most important keyword people are using when they're searching for a book to help them change their habits. The author could have easily used a less searched for word like motivation, discipline, behavior, custom, or pattern. In fact, you'll find in the related books to Atomic Habits, 
books that are not selling as well that have all of those words <laughs> in their titles. By using the right title, the author of Atomic Habits got an edge in search, which led to an edge in sales, which led to an edge in reviews and a virtuous cycle that means he now has the most popular book on habits. If he had used a word like motivation, discipline, behavior, or whatever, those words would have been too clever. They are not the words that readers are searching for. They are the words readers may have searched for after they read the book, when they learn that those other things like discipline and motivation are important, or creating patterns and customs are important, but not before. And that's what's important. The next strategy is to use a subtitle. Now, while book titles are getting shorter, where there's less room to put your keywords in the title, the combined title and subtitle if you look at them together, are actually getting longer. <laughs> They're almost back to the point they were in the 1800s. Not quite as long as the Origin of Species official title, but getting close. A good example of this is Boundaries by John Townsend and Henry Cloud. This is a nice short title, but the subtitle is When to Say Yes, How to Say No, to Take Control of Your Life. So this has three really power keywords in it. Yes, no, and control over your life as a phrase is a strong phrase as well. There are a lot of books about saying no. In fact, I've read many of those books about saying no. And so having that word, that power keyword in the title helps sell more copies of that book. Now, for those of you who are novelists, there's a big temptation to put a novel as your subtitle. And I just wanna say, don't do it. Which would sell better, Aragon, a novel, or Aragon, a dragon riding adventure. Unless you're writing literary fiction, you can usually do better than a novel as your subtitle. This is a great place to put your genre or to put some really strong keywords to help people find your book. Another place where you can sneak keywords in is with a series name. In fact, sometimes for fiction, subtitles don't work very well. Maybe you don't want to have a novel or a dragon riding adventure. You just want to have the title of the book. This is very, very common. It's, I would say more novels don't have any kind of subtitle than those that do. So what do you do? Well, this is where you use the series name to sneak in your keywords. So a good example of this is The Bake Shop, an Amish marketplace novel, book one. So while the title Bake Shop doesn't have any good keywords in it, the series name and Amish Marketplace has that power keyword Amish, which is what the word the readers are searching for. So while you're thinking about your series, think about what keywords your readers are searching for when you're coming up with the name of your series. Don't just pick the first name that comes into your head. Here is an example of a novel that's using every principle I've talked about here. It's unique, it's familiar, it has a keyword-rich subtitle, and a keyword-rich series name. And it is Moon Dance, a paranormal mystery, Vampire for Hire, book one. So let's break it down. The title Moon Dance is remarkable. It's new, but it's also familiar. And specifically, it's reminiscent of New Moon, which was book number two of the Twilight books. This is the kind of subtle connection you want. If this was Twilight Dance, it wouldn't have worked. It would have been too on the nose. It's gotta be subtle. You want a connection that connects, but the people can't quite put their finger on how it connects. They're like, hmm, that sounds interesting. It sounds similar to this other book I've already liked. This title is very short. It's easy to say, it's easy to spell, and it's unique. The only other books I could find with the title Moon Dance were a children's book and a nonfiction book about fertility. So if somebody were to type in Moon Dance into Google or into Amazon, they're going to find the right book. 
Now let's look at the subtitle, A Paranormal Mystery. Oh, this is so much better than saying a novel, right? <laughs> Which would you rather read? Moondance, a novel, or Moondance, a paranormal mystery? And paranormal mystery is a really strong keyword phrase. And that's the sort of thing people are searching for. You may not be in the market for this kind of book, but the people who are in the market for this kind of book are typing in phrases like paranormal mystery. And then we have series name, which is vampire for hire. <laughs> vampire, which is a magical keyword. It sparkles in the sun or it hunts you down in a dark alley. It's a very powerful keyword. Now, notice how the subtitle and the series name have different keywords. This is good because they can work together. If somebody search for vampire mystery, they're likely to find this book because it has both the words mystery and vampire in the subtitle and series name. This is really good search engine optimization and a big reason why Moondance has sold so well. This book has sold a lot of copies and made the author very wealthy because the author is using good SEO practices and helping create a good book title. All right, the fourth strategy for a good book title is to heal a pain. And this tactic works best for nonfiction, but it can also work for fiction. Basically, you're promising to heal a pain. So let me take you through three steps to deliver on this strategy. Step one is identify the reader and the specific pain. In order to know your reader's pain, you have to know your reader. And this works best for authors who are already regularly interacting with their target audience. So pastors, doctors, counselors, business consultants, etc. The kind of people who are already in the hustle and the bustle and they know exactly what the pain is of their target reader. So here are some examples of people. We're going to basically go through an exercise to see how to do this. So a young woman who's pregnant for the first time and nervous about how her body is changing. So what's her specific pain? She doesn't know what to expect, and that scares her. Some of you already know the book title that's going to appeal to this reader. Another person is a mom who's at her wit's end about her child's bad behavior. What is her specific pain? She feels trapped with a terribly behaved child. Or a man who struggles to connect with people. The specific pain, he feels lonely and powerless. So now we've identified the reader and the specific pain. Now let's talk about step two, promise to make the pain go away. So here are some book titles that make that clear promise. And the promise is, if you read this book, your pain will go away. So for the woman who's pregnant and scared, the book title is, What to Expect When You're Expecting. An evergreen bestseller, one of the best-selling books of the 20th century. For the mom who's at her wit's end about her kid's bad behavior, Have a New Kid by Friday, another very successful book. And The Man Who Feels Lonely and Powerless, How to Win Friends and Influence People, which has been on and off the bestseller list for 80 years. Why? Why for three generations, four generations, has this book done so well? Because it makes a clear promise. Now, step three, and this is key, is to then deliver on your promise. So I realize it's a little bit outside of the scope of talking about the title of a book, but it is still very important. The book Getting Things Done didn't take off because it made the promise that if you read the book, you would get more done. It took off because it delivered on its promise. For years, the book outsold its own previous year's sales record because the people who read it, their lives were transformed, they got more done, and they told their friends about the book. 
And the name, Getting Things Done, was easy to remember, it was unique, and it could be shortened to GTD, which is a popular acronym amongst the disciples of this book. There's a reason why Getting Things Done has over 4,000 five-star ratings across its two best-selling editions. It delivered on its promise. So while making promises and alleviating pain does work better for nonfiction, sometimes you can pull it off for fiction, especially with certain kinds of fiction. It doesn't work as well with genre fiction, but you can always keep it in mind. So hopefully now you have a better idea of what works and kind of how to think about book titles and how to help you have a better book title. But let me go back to what I said at the beginning, and that is, while you're putting together your book title ideas, it is critical to get outside perspective. You gotta have somebody telling you if what you've put on the label matches what you have in the bottle. This episode is brought to you by my course, How to Start a Writer's Group. Most authors want to join someone else's writer's group, and when everyone thinks this, there are no groups to join. The result is that there's not enough writer's groups in this world when they are often the most important thing for helping you improve your craft. There's just no substitute for getting somebody else to look at your writing. So don't let this be you. Don't be stuck without a writer's group. There's a great opportunity when you start your own writing group because you can customize it to be exactly what you need while simultaneously blessing the authors who join your group. In this course, you're going to learn exactly how to set up the group step-by-step step, as well as how to avoid common mistakes that torpedo group success. If you're a patron of the Novel Marketing Podcast, you can save 50% off the price of the course. And if you're a student of the five-year plan, you already have this course for free. And free is a good price. You can learn more at authormedia.com. Speaking of patrons, our featured patron is Shalene Weaver, author of the children's book, Lovebird. The squirrel family has a new neighbor who is rude and mean. They devise a plan of action to restore peace to the backyard and learn that love is more than a fuzzy feeling. So thank you, Shalene Weaver, for being a patron of the Novel Marketing Podcast, helping keep us on the air. And if you would like to become a patron of the podcast, we have a link in the show notes at authormedia.com. And if you can't afford to become a patron, I get it, 2020 is rough. Uh, there is one way you can help the podcast, and that is to leave us a review. Uh, Novel Marketing is now on both Audible Podcasts and Amazon Podcasts, and as of this recording, we currently have no reviews. So if you're an Amazon user, I would be very appreciative if you would be my first review so I don't have zero stars. <laughs> and for those of you wondering what my middle name is, my middle name is Gregory. I am Thomas Gregory Umstadt Jr. And the reason why I don't mention my middle name or even my middle initial is to reduce confusion with my dad. So I call myself Thomas Umstadt Jr. and he goes by Tom G. Umstadt CPA. His uh, accounting firm has a sign on one of our biggest highways here in Austin, and we used to get a lot of confusion before we kind of came to a detente on which parts of the name we would use. So that's why I never reference the G, and he tries to use it all the time. So you have been listening to Thomas Umstadt Jr. on the Novel Marketing Podcast. To get the blog version of this episode, to get new episodes delivered to your phone automatically, or to search through our past episodes, including over 500 blog posts answering specific author questions, go to authormedia.com. Thank you for listening, and live long and prosper.